Okay, the song is Something for Thee, and it's on page 446. Thank you for being here tonight. Those online with us, glad you could be with us as well. 446. I trust that is truly our desire this evening as we meet together, that we'd want to give to you whatever you would desire from us, something for thee. You have given us all, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This time of year, we especially remember that you gave us your son so that he could be that sacrifice in our behalf, and I pray that we would now be willing to sacrifice that which we have for you. I'd ask, Father, that you would show us in our lives those areas that we have not surrendered to you, those things that we cling to, those idols of the heart that we still would love at times more than you. 
And I pray, Father, that we might surrender that before you, that we'd be convicted by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we would constantly be opening our hearts to you, allowing you to search us and to know us. We do thank you for our time together tonight, and thank you for the opportunity to come together to bring our requests before you as a corporate body in Christ. And also as we come together to study your word, I pray, Father, that you would use your truth in our lives, change us where we need to be changed, convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We continue always to pray for our teens that are meeting tonight. We would ask that you would Just work in their hearts and in their lives. Likewise, Father, bring them to the point where you can use them, whether it be in their need of salvation itself or whether it just be in the need of complete and full surrender to you. I pray that you would accomplish your purpose in the heart of each of the teens tonight. And even our younger children, Father, again, we recognize that the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. We would pray that they would understand and that they would give their their lives to to you, that they would surrender to Christ, that they would trust him as their Savior. Father, we thank you for your blessings on us as a church. We thank you for meeting our needs. We pray that you would continue to do so. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us, Father, to know that Christ is indeed the head of the church. We must be surrender to him we must be submissive to him not demanding our own way not making decisions based upon our own preferences but simply based upon your truth help us to know that truth help us be faithful in the study of your word help us father to just meditate upon it day and night as you've commanded us to do to govern our lives according to your word and its truths that it would only that it would be our our only rule of faith and practice. We can so easily be led astray by our feelings. We can be led astray just by our own human thoughts. And we pray, Father, that we would not lean upon our own understanding, but in all our ways we would acknowledge you and allow you to direct our paths. Again, Father, we thank you for each one here tonight. Thank you for their their sacrifice in coming. I pray that uh, you would just challenges from your word tonight and it's in Jesus name we pray amen let's continue in prayer Lord you are awesome and almighty the creator and sustainer of all things Thank you so much that you hear us when we pray. It's uh, an amazing, amazing privilege that we have, and we, we thank you that you truly care about us. You care about our needs, and you, yeah, and you meet our needs. We're not, uh, we're not deserving, but thank you. We thank you that you've demonstrated your great love for us at your first coming as we think about this time of the year, and, and uh, also certainly on the cross you've displayed your love for us for all to see. Uh, we do thank you for the great hope of the second coming. Uh, we look forward to that day when you return and uh, the eternal life that we have with you, we'll, that we'll have with you in, in your presence. Uh, we do also think of this time of uh, 
those who have lost loved ones during this past year, just give them the comfort and peace that only you can. Uh, we pray that they would know that, uh, that you are in control and that uh, they will see their loved ones someday. And, and we look forward to that too, uh, to seeing uh, saints from the, the past and present uh, in eternal glory. We look forward to that day. Most of all, we look forward to, uh, to seeing you face to face. Thank you for that wonderful truth. Uh, we do pray that we would take full advantage of the opportunities that you give us at this time of the year, um, that we would be uh, just desirous and, and able to express your greatness to those uh, we come into contact with. Just uh, thank you for the opportunities that we have, especially at Christmas time. People are, are more open to, uh, to hearing what Christmas is truly about, and we uh, pray that we would bravely do so and uh, not be ashamed of you in any way. We do uh, think of uh, pastors, missionaries, uh, as well as our fellow brothers and sisters across the world uh, who are desiring to uh, live for you and minister for you, often in very difficult circumstances. And we pray that you would give them, give them strength, give them wisdom. We pray that uh, your peace and comfort would come over them as well. We do uh, think of our Christmas outreaches uh, that we have individually and as a church body, just uh, Pray that fruit would be born through those, that uh, those who haven't accepted you as Savior would do so at this time of the year. They would realize that you are the only hope that we have. Uh, you are truly the reason for the season. We do uh, think of our teens tonight, as well as our Kids for Truth Club. Just uh, be with each of those, uh, those young ones and uh, uh, those that are growing into adults. We just, uh, just pray that their hearts would be open to you. They would be desirous to uh, learn more about you and to, and to love you and to, uh, if need, need be, accept you as their savior. Uh, think also of the, the leaders of, of those groups. Just uh, give them wisdom in knowing how best to, to reach the kids that come and I pray they would be a great example of who you are to them. Uh, we do also uh, pray that you would uh, fill our pastors and, and us as well with a more full measure of your spirit that we might fully glorify you in our, in our lives. It's all about you, it's not about us. Um, we do think of Don tonight, just thank you for uh, the effort that he puts into Wednesday night studies as well as uh, those on Sunday. Just, uh, just give him uh, a spiritual insight that, uh, that we might learn from and, and we pray that we would be open to uh, what he has to say and and uh, apply the truth uh, in our daily lives in this upcoming week. So thanks again for your great love for us. Uh, we thank you for coming to earth, and we thank you for uh, the eternal life that we have in you. In your great name, amen. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we do thank you and we praise you for what you have done in our lives, for the many blessings you have given to us and that you have opened up our eyes to the truth. May we use this season to be a witness of your mercy and your grace for opening up our eyes and our minds to what is true and for our need of salvation. We thank you that you sent your son to make that way possible for us. For as man, we cannot do it, 
on our own. But through your son, we have the possibility of living a life that is pleasing to you if we accept what he did on the cross. Open up our uh, minds to the opportunities you've set before us. Give us boldness to not only speak, but also to act on your behalf that we may be channels that you may be able to use to make others think about what your son has done and for his plan for our future. We do pray for the teens and the youth tonight. We do pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in their minds and their, that their thoughts may be turned toward you, that they may be able to hear what is being shared, that your Holy Spirit may open up their understanding. We do pray for those who are teaching and working in these areas, that you'll give them the opportunities that they need and to be able to see the way you can use them. Help them to reach out and not only the words, but also the actions that they may share your love to those that they're working with. We thank you for this opportunity that you have made available to them. And we do pray that you will um, see the fruit and that our church may be blessed by it. We do pray for those who are struggling this time of year with the holidays, some because of uh, missing family members, others because of finances or just distraught over the things that are happening. We do pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will calm their hearts, help them to see the hope that is only through you and that they do not need to worry for the things of this life if they will trust you with their whole heart. Turn their heart to a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Give them a desire to know your will and not their own. Give them comfort where only you can give the comfort that is lasting. And the peace that only you can give. We do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we can come together to study your word. And we do pray that you'll give Don the words that we need to hear. Help us to see how you have worked in Ezekiel's life. And for the different circumstances that he is in and how he lived his life led by the spirit may we live our life pleasing to you a life of faith for we ask it in jesus name Ezekiel chapter 12. Continuing in our study here of Ezekiel. If you remember, Ezekiel was taken in the second deportation of the Babylonian captivity, which took place in 597 B.C., it's now about six years later, so somewhere around 591 B.C. in that neighborhood is when Ezekiel 
has these prophecies and these visions from the Lord. The prophecy concerns the judgment that God is going to bring, has brought, and will continue to bring upon the nation of Judah and particularly the city of Jerusalem. We know from history that about five years after this prophecy of Ezekiel here in chapter 12, that the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls torn down, the temple was destroyed, and the remaining people in Jerusalem were taken captive. So keep that in mind as we read down through this, that uh, these prophecies that Ezekiel gives uh, were fulfilled about five years later. We know that there's a lot of prophecies in Scripture from the Old Testament even that haven't yet been fulfilled. But Ezekiel's prophecy were fulfilled within just a few years of him giving the prophecy. And I think that's very significant. So in verse 12 we read, The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Notice that emphasis. Eyes to see, but they see not. Ears to hear, but they hear not. So what's God going to do? Well, in the rest of chapter 12, he both gives something for them to see and something for them to hear. In other words, Ezekiel now puts on two different dramatizations, and then he gives the interpretation of the dramatization that he just gave. And so they are both seeing it and they're hearing it, but God said they're rebellious. They've got eyes, but they don't see, and they've got ears, but they don't hear because they're rebellious. But God's going to show them and tell them both concerning the, the prophecy or the destruction and judgment that's to come. So, first we have this dramatization beginning in verse 3. Therefore, son of man, prepare baggage for moving. And move by day in their sight, and you shall move from your place to another place in their sight. It may be they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. So I want you to pack up your household belongings, at least some of it that you can carry with you. Pack your bags, and I want you to move from your place to another place. doesn't specifically tell them where to move to, but just pack up your bags and move. We'll see the interpretation of that in just a moment, but that was the dramatization. But then he continues in verse 4, Then shall you bring forth your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for moving. And you shall go forth at evening in their sight as they that go forth into captivity dig through the wall in their sight and carry out through it. So he says, I want you to, again, pack your bags in their sight. I want you to move from one place to another, carrying your bags. Do that during the day. But then at night, I want you to dig a hole in the wall, probably the, uh, a hole in the house wall. I want you to go through that hole in the wall at nighttime and carry your baggage with you through that hole. That's the dramatization. Verse 6, in their sight you shall bear it upon your shoulders and carry it forth in the twilight or in the evening. You shall cover your face that you see not the ground, for I have set you as a sign unto the house of Israel. And I did so, as I was commanded. I brought forth my baggage by day, as baggage for captivity, and in the evening I digged through the wall with my hand. I brought it forth in the evening, and I bore it upon my shoulder in their sight. 
household. Ezekiel did exactly what God told him to do. He got his baggage, moved from one place to another during the day, but then he dug a hole in the wall at nighttime in the evening. He carried his baggage through that hole in the wall. It's called the baggage of captivity. And so as we now come to verse 8, we see the interpretation of this dramatization. And it is, the interpretation is that he is picturing them going into captivity by carrying his, his baggage. Um, those that he is doing this dramatization before are those who have already been taken captive. They're already in Babylon. They're by the river of Chebar. And so they should have recognized what was going on here as, as Ezekiel packed his bags and carried it. And, and it says baggage of captivity, exactly what would have been in that baggage, but it would have reminded them that that's what they carried out of Jerusalem when they were taken captive. So that should have meant something to them. It should have brought back some horrible memories on their part of their own deportation. And now he's dramatizing that there is more to come. That those who are still in Jerusalem, that they're going to be taken captive as well. But then this whole thing about the, the evening, and going through the hole in the wall, what's that all about? Well, God's about to tell him in verse 8. And in the morning came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said unto you, What are you doing? So they saw this dramatization, and they said, well, Ezekiel, what, what, what's this all about? Say unto them, verse 10, thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince, or the king, in Jerusalem, and all the house of Israel that are among them. So this dramatization involves all those that are still in Jerusalem, but specifically the king in Jerusalem. Say, I am a sign as I have done, so shall it be done unto them. They shall move and go into captivity. So he says this dramatization is simply picturing that those that are still in Jerusalem, they're going to be taken captive. And they're going to go into captivity. Just as those to whom Ezekiel was talking were taken captive six years earlier or five years earlier. Uh, now he's saying that those that are left in Jerusalem are also going to be taken captive. Verse 12, and the prince, or the king that is among them, shall bear upon his shoulder in the evening, and shall go forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out through it. He shall cover his face, that he see not the ground with his eyes. So he's saying the, the king in Jerusalem, he's going to try to escape through a hole in the wall in the evening, carrying his own baggage. Verse 13, my net also will I spread upon him. And he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. And I will scatter toward every wind all that are about him to help him, and all his bands, and I will draw out the sword after him. In other words, he's saying the king's going to try to escape. The, the soldiers that are with him, they're going to be with him, but they're going to be scattered as the Babylonians capture the king. It says... Uh, He's going to be taken into Babylon, but will not see Babylon. What's that all about? Well, if you want to, you can turn or you can just listen to me read back in 2 Kings chapter 25. This is the account that actually happened 
five years after Ezekiel gave this prophecy. 1 Kings chapter 25 and verse 4. And the city, that is the city of Jerusalem, was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the Arabah. And the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army were scattered from him. So the king escapes through a hole in the wall. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, chase him. His soldiers that were there to protect him, they, they, they scatter as the king is captured. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they pronounced sentence upon him, and they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him with fetters of bronze, and carried him to Babylon. Why did he not see Babylon? Because they took out his eyes. And so he was taken captive, just as Ezekiel prophesied five years earlier. He was blinded. His eyes were taken out, so he did not see Babylon, though he was taken to Babylon, just as Ezekiel said would happen. The specifics of prophecy never should cease to amaze us. God knows exactly what's going to happen, and he prophesies with exact terminology, and that's why when we, we consider the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, they will be fulfilled exact. There are those who try to look at prophecy and they try to spiritualize it and they try to make it say this or that or the other thing. It's going to happen just as it says it's going to happen. We don't have to spiritualize anything. We don't have to say, well, this means this and this means... No, it means exactly what it says and it's going to happen exactly as it says it's going to happen. Ezekiel said that Zedekiah would not see Babylon. Guess what? He didn't see Babylon. He was carried to it. He didn't see it. So... Prophecy is exact. We don't need to spiritualize it and make it say something else. It says what it says and it will be fulfilled as it says. Verse 14 again, I'll scatter toward, back in Ezekiel chapter 12, I'll scatter toward every wind all that are about him to help him and all his bands and I will draw out the sword after them and they shall know that I am the Lord. Again, that phrase over and over again, some 70 times in the book of Ezekiel. God's doing what he's doing so that Israel will know that I am Jehovah, that I am Yahweh, I'm their God. They've turned away from him. They have worshipped idols. They want nothing to do with him. He's doing what he's doing. He's bringing this judgment to bring them back to him so that they would know that he is indeed Yahweh, their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries. But I will leave a few men of them from the sword, from the famine, and from the pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations to which they come. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So he's going to take them captive. As this dramatization showed, the king uh, would have his eyes plucked out. They would be scattered among not just Babylon, but the nations. And he does, does this so that they might know that I am the Lord. But he says, some will be spared. Some will be spared from the pestilence, from the sword. Um, they will turn back to me. 
he says they will, they will declare their abominations among the nations. They will acknowledge that they had disobeyed God and he will spare the remnant. And he did promise through Jeremiah that this Babylonian captivity would last 70 years and then they'd be able to return back to the land. So we have this, this first dramatization. They could see it. Problem is they're a rebellious house. They have eyes, but they don't see. He told them the interpretation of the dramatization, but they have ears and they will not hear. Do you have any questions about that first part there? Yes, Charlie. Um, I think it's because he's, he's going out at nighttime and not really able to see well where he's going. I, I think that's the idea of it. Um, so he, he just, he didn't know where he was going. He was just trying to escape. And it says he was going towards the, the Arabah, which would have been south of Jerusalem. But he just, he was just trying to get away and didn't know where he's going. I think that's the idea. Good, good question. Any other thoughts or comments? All right, we come to verse 17. We have another dramatization. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and with anxiety. And say unto the people of the, Lord, of the land, Thus says the Lord God of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and of the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with consternation that her land may be desolate from all that is in it because of the evidence of all them that dwell in it, because of the violence of all them that dwell in it. And the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall be desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. Very simple dramatization. He's to eat his bread with quaking shaking with anxiety. He's to drink his water with, with trembling. Um, bread and water, earlier on here in Ezekiel, we saw bread and water as, as kind of the diet of starvation, as uh, uh, he put on another um, object lesson earlier on here in Ezekiel that we looked at. Um, he was to eat bread and drink water, but only a, a small amount. It was to symbolize the famine that was going to take place in Jerusalem because when Babylon laid siege to the city, uh, when Babylon came and laid siege to the city, it, it lasted for, for a couple of years. It wasn't something that took place overnight. They just starved the people out. And uh, so they were starving inside the walls of Jerusalem. They couldn't get out to get more food because the enemy had surrounded the city and they just waited them out. And so uh, this, this meal of, of bread and water as he eats it quaking and trembling and with anxiety was just to symbolize the starvation that was going to take place in Jerusalem and how they were going to be filled with anxiety and consternation, as it says, because they were surrounded by the Babylonians. So again, this, this dramatization. Verse 21 Further explanation then of this dramatization. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, what is that proverb that you have 
have in the land of Israel, saying, The days are prolonged, and every vision fails. In other words, uh, in Jerusalem, they were saying at this point, they were saying, you know, we hear all these prophecies about this judgment coming, but it, it's not coming. It hasn't come. The days are prolonged. These prophets don't know what they're talking about. Judgment's not coming. In other words, the long-suffering of God, the grace of God, they interpreted as God's approval of them. And that judgment would not come. Even though the prophets were saying it was, nothing was happening out of God's long-suffering and patience and grace towards them, nothing happened. They took that long-suffering and God's grace as a sign of approval. But now that's going to change. He says, uh, what is that proverb that you have in the land of Israel saying the days are prolonged and every vision fails? Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make this proverb to cease. And they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say unto them, The days are at hand, and the effect of every vision. You say every vision fails? Well, guess what? The vision will be fulfilled. The days will no longer be prolonged. It's now at hand. It's coming. Verse 24, For there shall be no more any vain vision, nor flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged. For in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word and will perform it, says the Lord God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he sees is for many days to come. And he prophesies of the times that are far off. Again, they're saying, first of all, they're saying what's not going to happen at all. And then some are saying, well, it may happen, but it's so far off, we don't have to worry about it. But God says, no, it's, it's at hand, it's coming now. Therefore, verse 28, say unto them, thus says the Lord God, there shall none of my words be prolonged anymore, but the word which I have spoken shall be done, says the Lord God. It's coming, it's at hand. So I said this was probably about 591 B.C. Um, Jerusalem was destroyed and that captivity took place in 586 B.C., so that's about five years. But as I said, the, the laying siege to Jerusalem, that lasted, I forget exactly, but that lasted maybe as much as three years. So, so within a year or two of this prophecy, Babylon was at the door or at the gates of Jerusalem and laying siege to Jerusalem within just a year or two of this prophecy. And uh, again... The, the exactness of the prophecy is very clear. Any questions, comments about uh, these two dramatizations? Again, it's about the judgment of God that they might know that I am the Lord. Yes? Pardon? Um, yes and no. It, the, the people that were already in captivity and with Ezekiel there in Babylon, some of them uh, were part of the remnant that really believed and they, they, they understood exactly what Ezekiel was saying and they believed him. Others didn't. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, good question, but there was a lot of trade that went back and forth, a lot of trade be between, um, you know, it didn't, I mean, obviously, Ezekiel's prophecy didn't reach Jerusalem, you know, that afternoon, um, but with the trade that went back and forth, word would have gotten back to him. Good, good question, though. That's, that's very true. Um, Ezekiel's in Babylon. How did the people in Jerusalem hear about this prophecy? But the word got to, word did travel. They didn't hit a button on their computer and send it, but uh, it did get there. Have time to get started into chapter 13 here. As he's in chapter 12, he's just uh, really talked about the, the people in general, and specifically then the, the, the king, Zedekiah. But now he zeroes in on the false prophets. And that's what chapter 13 is about. False prophets and false prophetesses. And uh, God often singles out the prophets, or the false prophets, I should say, in his pronouncements of judgment. We see that even in the New Testament with reference to uh, Christ's earthly ministry. Who did he attack the most? It was the religious leaders, wasn't it? It was those who should have been leading the children of Israel godly, but they were misleading them and leading them astray. And that's who Christ attacked most vehemently in his earthly ministry. And he pronounced woes upon the religious leaders. The average person, not so much. He had compassion and wept over them, but the religious leaders, he, he really went after because they should have known better and should have been leading the children of Israel in a godly manner rather than misleading them and leading them astray. And the same here is true in the Old Testament. Often he turns to those who, who should have been leading the people in a godly way, but were misleading them, and he attacks these false prophets. Verse 1 of chapter 13, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Saying these, these prophets are prophesying out of their own hearts. Uh, in other words, it's, it's kind of the idea, um, they're prophesying what they wish was true, what they desire to be true. That's what they're prophesying. Not anything that God has actually told them, but what they wish God would tell them. That's what they're prophesying out of their own hearts. And then verse 3, thus says the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They claim to have had a vision from God, but they're prophesying out of their own spirit, not from the Holy Spirit, not from the Spirit of God, but from their own spirit they're prophesying based upon what they wished, what they desired, and they were claiming to have a vision from God, but in reality they were seeing nothing, nothing from God at all. But they were prophesying anyway. And it says, O Israel, your prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. What's he mean by that? Foxes in the deserts. Um, the fox were very cunning. And in their cunning ways, 
they would destroy crops. They would destroy the vineyard if they had a, you know, vineyards were very common in Israel. The foxes of the deserts would come in in a very, uh, you know, they would come in at night. They would come sneaking in in a cunning way and they would destroy the vineyard. And he says in the same way these false prophets are very cunning and they're destroying the vineyard of Israel, if you will. They're destroying the country. They're destroying the nation of Israel. They're destroying the nation of Judah. They're destroying Jerusalem with their cunning prophecy and with their false prophecy. Just like the foxes would destroy the crops, these prophets were destroying the nation. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. You've not gone up into the gaps. Uh, the, the picture here would be, again, you have the uh, Jerusalem as an example. You have the, the walls around Jerusalem or, or other uh, cities that were defended. They, they built walls around them. But if there was ever a gap in the wall, that's a place where the enemy would, would sneak in. So you had to defend that gap. Well, the thought here is the prophets should have been defending any gaps in the wall, the spiritual wall, to protect the nation. Um, any sin, any idolatry, these prophets should have, been, should have been prophesying against that idolatry and against that sin to, to, to plug up that gap so that the enemy couldn't get in and destroy them spiritually. We're not talking physically here, we're talking spiritually. So they were to fill in the gap that the sin was creating and they were to repair that gap so that the enemy could not get in. They were to build this, this hedge around the nation spiritually and protect the nation from that uh, sin that was making its way in. But he says these false prophets weren't doing that. They weren't filling the gap. They weren't building up the hedge to protect the nation from sin and from idolatry. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord says, and the Lord has not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. They were saying, God, you know, thus says the Lord, when God had not spoken. And in their false prophecy, they were giving people hope. You know, guys like Ezekiel, guys like Daniel, guys like Jeremiah, you don't need to listen to them. They're prophesying judgment that's coming. You don't need to listen to them. Judgment's not coming, and they gave hope to the people in Jerusalem, saying that God had spoken when God had not spoken. Verse 7, have you not seen a vain vision, and have you not spoken a lying divination, whereas you say the Lord says it, albeit I have not spoken, therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore behold, I am against you, says the Lord God. And my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Notice the three judgments that God brings upon these false prophets. He says, uh, first of all, they shall not be in the assembly of my people. The word assembly there is more the idea of, of 
counsel. In other words, they, they will not be um, in the, the ruling council. They will not be in a place of authority. They will not be in a place of, of recognition. In other words, they, they will be removed from their, their place of, of uh, authority and their place of recognition. You know, the prophets were, were esteemed and uh, they were going to lose that position of being esteemed by the people. Secondly, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. In essence, we'd want to put that in some modern terminology, they would lose their citizenship. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but if you go back to Ezra, there's a whole list of, of people and families, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, of the people who had been taken captive and then the people who came back from the captivity. They kept very careful records. Um, careful records of the people who were, even the people who were deported with Ezekiel. They kept very careful written records of everyone who was taken captive and everyone who remained back. And then later when, when those people were taken captive in 586, a very careful record was kept. Uh, genealogy was extremely important to the Jewish people. And so they would keep that genealogy. And uh, when people went back to the land after the 70 years captivity, if they couldn't prove their genealogy, that was very, very uh, challenging for them. They couldn't prove their genealogy, they could lose their citizenship. And so he's saying here that, that these false prophets, they were not going to be written down in those, uh, in those genealogies. They were not going to be written down in the registry of citizens. They would lose their citizenship. And because they would lose their citizenship, they would not have an opportunity to go back to the land. Again, it had been prophesied that this captivity would last for 70 years, but these false prophets would not be returning back to the land. So those, those three um, judgments upon these false prophets, they would, not, they would, they would lose their place of, of authority and recognition, they would lose their citizenship, and they would have no chance of going back to the land. They would never see Israel again. That was God's judgment upon them. We'll stop there for tonight, but uh, he continues to, uh, to uh, bring judgment upon these, these false prophets. Again, we're reminded that uh, just as there were false prophets and and Peter in 2 Peter emphasizes this. Jude emphasizes it in the New Testament. Just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there are false teachers today in the church age. And we need to be aware of that. There were false prophets misleading and leading astray the children of Israel and, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, giving them hope when there should have been no hope. And there are false teachers today who are likewise giving people false hope with their false doctrine. And we need to certainly be very keenly aware that there is much false doctrine out there and we need to always be coming back to Scripture. What does God say? Everything needs to be taken through the, the, uh, the uh, truth of God's Word. This needs to be our foundation. It needs to be our standard. And everything that anyone says needs to be brought back. What does God say? Let's bow in prayer.
Father, we thank you again so much for this time together and for your word, for the warnings that it certainly gives us. You, you've told us that uh, the things that happened unto Israel happen for our learning and for our instruction that we might learn from it. And I pray, Father, that we indeed would recognize that as there are false prophets in Israel, there are false teachers today. And we need to take everything back to your word, back to your truth, and compare it to what you have said. And may we be true to your word. May we follow your truth in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.